0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Monday morning, the 9th of January. This is what we've got for you today. We're going to kick off with the big talking point. My word, Emirates Airline, Skyward's Miles. They have tweaked the rules... And that's putting it nicely. We're going to get some detail on that. What else have we got? Mark Ross Smith is the CEO of StatusMatch.com. He's a loyalty expert, going to get his thoughts on the changes to Skyward's Miles. Also this morning, Talib Hashem joined us now Interesting because a number of companies are being fined because of emiratisation quotas. Taleb Hashim is an Emirati. He's the managing director of TBH Advisory. He's an Emirati recruitment expert. Get his thoughts on that and what it means for your business. And finally, we crossed live to India. Pranjal Bandari is the chief India economist at HSBC. News that Saudi Arabia is overtaking India this year as the world's fastest growing major economy. Pranjal's thoughts on that coming up shortly. First up, though, let's dive straight into our controversial talking point today Emirates Airline and those skywards miles.
1: You're listening to The Business Breakfast, where there is certainly many business stories this morning that have also made their way, I'd argue, to dinner party chat.
0: Miles away You're so many miles away from me
1: And I can find you all those miles away we just got a few more miles away from our loved ones? That's the question this morning.
0: This is the announcement by Emirates that it's tweaking the Skyward system, which is one way of putting it. Essentially, to upgrade to first or business class, you're going to need more miles. However, the upside is that if you're a premium member of Skyward's silver, gold, platinum, you will earn more bonus miles when you travel. A lot of attention being given to this by Business Breakfast listeners this morning. We've got a poll going on Instagram this morning. How do you, not Emirates, just generally, how do you feel your airline is treating you in terms of airline, in terms of loyalty? Do you feel you're getting more perks or do you feel you're getting less and less? 100% of people say they are getting less and less from their airline airline.
1: There's quite a lot of accounting in miles um, and I have to admit I do get foxed by how some of the systems worked. We did invite Emirates to come in and join us this morning. They weren't able to make it um, this morning which is a shame because we would love to uh, to get their take on it particularly on the current market conditions that they are pointing to towards for this and then also how they're calculating the the miles and, and, and what increases what miles you need now for the increases, etc. Fingers crossed that they might be able to join us um, tomorrow. We'll certainly extend the invitation again. But they're not alone in changing. Uh, their programs at the moment. You have a lot of pent-up demand. You've got a lot of people with a lot of miles. And CNBC has been reporting over the weekend that in the US, some of the big American carriers, Delta, American, United, are making their own tweaks. Um, That's a little bit more on the side of how you can get onto the programs in the first place, how much it takes you to make the, the different tiers of their loyalty programs. And according to CNBC, one of the reasons that they are doing this is because you're not special if everybody is special. If absolutely everyone's in the lounge and you're having to wait 25 minutes to get a coffee, um, you know, they announce priority boarding and the entire plane stands up. You're not a priority, are you?
2: No, no. Um, and I think that's been one of the issues, and certainly we're getting in a lot of text messages on this this morning, uh, a lot of people mentioning lounge and lounge access. But then again, I suppose because of the pressures of COVID-19, uh, the lockdowns, the lack of travel, uh, Skyward's programmes managers uh, and those that put these programmes together were looking for alternative means of keeping their programmes alive and beneficial, etc. And so, Again, I haven't got evidence for this, but we've got an expert joining us in round about 10 minutes' time to discuss it in more detail, our loyalty programme, um, Thought Leader, joining us here on the studio. But I wonder whether they did reach out to more banks and and more partners, etc. Because certainly lounges seem to be busier post-COVID than they were pre-COVID. So, And a lot of people suggesting that's got nothing to do with the points that you've or the miles that you've earned over the COVID period, because you couldn't, but you could because there were alternative options. You were, you know, there were new partnerships set up with retail stores and, and 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 other providers and therefore and other banks. And that's how you're getting access into the lounges.
1: It's what we I mean, the lounges is one thing. I would argue that the redeeming, though, is where people get incredibly emotive. They kind of consider the miles. And I include myself in this, by the way, um, to be, you know, they're our miles. We've earned them. It's like money in the bank. Um, and so, not being able to get a seat on the flight you want, if you're trying to book a flight just a seat just with miles, a flight just with miles, or it costing more to upgrade, I feel like we take it incredibly personally. The late great Malcolm Taylor used to have a theory um, that if we wanted to get people messaging in, um, then there were a couple of hot trigger subjects. One was school fees. Uh, one was the roads. One was wages and one of them was skywards.
0: It's true. It's a hot-button issue here in the way it's not in London, in the way that Mm -hmm. it's not in Delhi, in the way that it's not in Tokyo. There's there's something about this town, this city, Dubai, and I I don't think it's even this big a deal in Abu Dhabi with Etihad or in Sharjah with Air Arabia. There's something about skywards, Miles, that is emotional and guttural here. And Brandy, you know, to repeat the point, if you were listening earlier, if this was a mining town?
1: Emirates and Aviation is the mine. It is. You all, I mean, uh, you know, so many people work for the airline. If not, your kids go to school with someone who who works for the airline. It's one of the reasons I think that the the redundancies, the beginning of COVID, were also um, such a big emotional uh, moment for the city. And I think we've got an ownership of the airline and the loyalty programme that you just don't see in other cities, which, by the way... It's great for a loyalty program, isn't it? I mean, that's what you actually want. You want people to feel that it's theirs.
2: I think the the, the other thing to mention is that, you know, a lot of emotive text messages coming in about this. And is that not just evidence that it is a victim of its own success to a certain degree? It is and continues to be a very good and very well put together... Uh, loyalty program, uh, probably one that a number of other airlines wish that they had something similar to the scale that Skywards has been able to do, and it has been able. And, and the reason that people feel so sort of personally affronted by these changes is because it is such a successful program and has been in the past. Um, and, it, and you're right; you're both right. It's, it is that sort of badge of honor here, isn't it? How many dinner parties do you go to? So, so what 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 card are you? You know, what are you? Are you blue? Are you silver? Are you gold? Are you are you platinum? Are you an IO? Oh. What's an IO! An invitation only. Well, hello. That's above platinum. We can only. Not aspire. many of them around. I, I flit between silver and blue, exactly. I don't know which I am at the moment. But that's. As good I know as a couple of IOs out there listening in at the moment.
1: What we're going to be asking our points expert. We're going to be asking many things, including your questions this morning. If you want to get those in. But one of the things I want to know is how risky a time is this. For Emirates to make this move we know globally flight prices are high, you go to book something you feel it um, people therefore I would argue you know we're, if we're booking a flight, we're googling around the place in a way that we wouldn't necessarily um, have been a, a year ago where you just would have stuck to your airline um, to see who's got the, the cheapest prices, we spoke to Tony Fernandez, the, the boss of, of Air Asia, about rising prices, he thinks they're stay, here to stay for a while so you shop around. One of the things that stops you shopping around is a loyalty programme. So if you feel that you're, you're my, you know that the miles are less valuable, it's, it's not as important to collect them, does that mean you're more likely to take a flight on another airline?
0: It's just, just the, 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 the emotion of the messages we're getting. <laughs> People get, <laughs> Tanya's written in, come on, guys, you're just sucking up to EK, Emirates. Uh, deflected the bad news story. Um, how a, we're not, Tanya. We're not sucking up to anyone. We've asked them to come on. We've got some experts in. We're asking your opinion. 100 percent of people say that they they feel they're getting less from their airline, whatever that airline may be. But Tanya's message, and you can you can you can hear the emotion in her voice. She cares. She really cares about Skywards. Why would you care about an airline, Miles? Per, I've never cared about one. Anywhere else in the world? But we do. But we, we absolutely do. do. We absolutely do. So Tanya, I hear you, and thank you for writing in. I appreciate it, and I feel your emotion.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it is—it's an issue, and we've had one expert on this morning that many airlines are facing at the moment—that build-up of miles, that build-up of passengers, um, how full planes are—and so, who do you prioritise? For the seats, do you prioritise your loyal customers by letting them book with the miles and, and try and keep the customers? Or do you look at how full your planes are and say, we can't afford to do that?
0: I agree. I travel four or five times a year with Emirates, mostly fly economy. It's just personal. I'm not a priority. I shouldn't be. The, the person I who's flying be. every week to Riyadh and back, or San Francisco and back, is the priority. She or me <laughs> are the guy that should get the rewards. And I get it. I Why should I get rewards when I fly? half a dozen times a year
2: This is the bite-sized Business Breakfast exclusively on Dubai i1038.com Statement from Emirates last week read like this, in line with current market conditions, Emirates Skywards is introducing an increase on Skywards miles required for upgrade rewards and classic rewards booked in business class and first class The increase will be gradually introduced on reward tickets across the Emirates network between the 22nd of December 2022 and the 31st of January 2023. To reduce the impact of this change on our most loyal customers, we will be increasing the bonus skywards miles earning opportunities for all platinum, gold, and silver members travelling with Emirates. Uh, that was the statement. That's all we've got from Emirates so far. We have reached out to the airline. Hopefully, we'll be able to get them on to discuss this further throughout this week. Um, queue hundreds of text messages and rather. Vitriolic text messages as well, coming from a number of our listeners. So we need an expert to help us uh, discuss this in more details. And an expert we have, uh, the CEO and the co-founder at StatusMatch.com. He's run airline loyalty programmes, consulted and advised across airline, hotel uh, and telco industries. A globally recognised, award-winning airline loyalty thought leader and known as one of the brightest minds in loyalty. Joining us now live on the line, CEO and co-founder of StatusMatch.com, Mark Ross-Smith. Mark, thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Good morning. It's a very generous introduction. Thank you.
2: No, it's great to have you with us um, because we, we, we need you to try and justify this, uh, not just for us here in the studio, but more for our listeners and viewers. We have been inundated with messages from unhappy Skywards members. Um, why are Emirates doing this?
3: So I'm also in the bucket. I'm also a gold member with Emirates. I have a bunch of miles and I fly with Emirates as well. Uh, I also uh, obviously in the industry and I run a pretty large airline loyalty program in my career as well so I bring a couple of different uh, angles and perspectives here I think what what I'm hearing is a lot of people are most annoyed about is the the no notice of this this sort of just came out of the blue you know around Christmas time hey by the way we're increasing the price of everything it was around 20 percent across the board in business of first classes well, well I think we're seeing a lot of the increases and you know, when you increase the cost of miles redemptions uh, with with no notice, it's it's kind of like you're, you're running a marathon, right? 42-kilometer marathon, the race begins, everyone's running, got the momentum going, you're halfway through the race, and the officials decide to increase the marathon length from 42 kilometers to 52 kilometers. And you're already halfway through the race, and, and it's just not what you signed up for. It's not what you're expecting. So I think, you know, it's... Um, not, not, not the best for an airline to go uh, increasing things like this with no notice, changing the goalposts, uh, especially you know this time of year when everyone, you know, they're looking for their their aspirational, their award, their once in a lifetime first class trip to Japan, Korea, the USA, you know, and they've got that that goal in mind, right? They know that it's going to be 200,000 miles, right, to get there, and then Emirates has effectively come around overnight and said, well. Now it's 250, now it's three, whatever it is. And so I think that's where a lot of the, the sentiment is coming from.
2: A lot of chat as well this morning that uh, the Skywards program, not just Skywards program, but loyalty programs have, had to, look, have to, had to look at their business models as a result of COVID. Anything in that?
3: So what we discovered in COVID, especially the, the major US airlines, is that the airline loyalty programs as separate businesses, they generally operate their own p What's come out of it, these airline loyalty programs are worth more than the entire airline itself. And uh, this has really opened up the minds of a lot of people into the economics and how these loyalty programs are run, and it's all come. It all comes back to the miles. It all comes back to earning miles on the credit card when you fly. Uh, there's a lot of money sort of flowing around there, and so when airlines make changes like this to their loyalty programs, you know there's uh, been a lot of debate. Uh, you know, internally at the airlines.
2: Loads of questions coming in. I wonder if you've got answers for some of our listeners and viewers, uh, Mark. This one coming from Richard uh, saying, a question I would like an answer to is, uh, I hear an upgrade is based on the price of a ticket, not automatic for those with either platinum or gold status who spend tens of thousands per annum on Emirates. Any more on that?
3: Yeah, generally upgrades based on the on the type of ticket you buy. You buy a, cheap, a cheaper ticket, it's just going to cost more to upgrade. You know, the the airlines are in the business of making the most, revenue they per seat, and that's what they intend to do your status tends to be a reflection of what you have spent in the past not generally what you're going to spend in the future
2: a lot of people also saying isn't this a problem of entitlement a lot of people have had great success with their loyalty program with their skywards programs somebody texting in saying most people complaining this morning are blue members they are blue uh, for a reason silver and gold members aren't complaining anything in that
3: no, I think I think it's um, it's going. It will affect silver, gold, platinum members more, just because they fly more. But also, these people tend to earn more miles. You know, they've got the credit card. They're going. They're spending more. You get a lot more miles on your credit card than you can flying. Uh, so you know, the, you know, a lot of these blue members out there, you go and get the credit card. You start spending on it. You could you can actually earn more. You can be more valuable to the airline earning miles from credit card earn than some you know sort of gold and platinum members. You know, spending fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year on tickets.
2: Is this a risk by Emirates, Mark, in terms of the decision they've made? Will it make customers look to other options when it comes to flights? Uh, you know, there is, a, there is a reason it is called a loyalty program.
3: Yes, I mean, definitely. There'll be some people that look at this and go, you know, this is just a step too far for me. Uh, I think Emirates would have factored that into before they make these decisions. But, you know, ultimately, they're in the business of making money. Right now, yields are up, loads are up around the world. All the big airlines, airlines are craving it right now. They're making a lot of money. And you know, for them, do they if they go giving away a cheaper seat uh, on a on a redemption ticket um, where they can sell that same seat for you know 20000 bucks, uh, you know internally there's a bit of an you know should should we be giving away the seat at such a cheaper rate? So, you know, increasing the cost per mile to um, on some of these redemptions can make a lot of financial sense for them.
1: Financial sense, but is there a risk that at a time when flights are high and people might be searching around beyond their normal airlines that you could lose customers if you don't have that loyalty glue.
3: Let me spin this back for a second here. What what if the risk for Emirates actually increasing, it actually reduces their risk? Because in an airline, generally the top 5% of your loyalty program members generate about 30% of airline revenue, right? And so the airline wants to look after these people more so than anyone else. And these people generally have more miles, higher miles balances than everyone else. And if these specific people can't redeem for business and first class, and the airline loses these people, these people, you know, they're worth a lot to the airline. And so the airline's going to do what they can to keep them. So if these people have access to more inventory, to more seats, and the, the way that that's done is by pricing other people out. Uh, I'm not saying this is a good or a bad strategy, or this is what Emirates is doing, because I'm not sure, but. There's definitely some sort of strategic value in there in looking after your top customers and what your top customers want. How can you give them more of what they value?
2: 30 seconds left with you, Mark. Just final thoughts as well. One final thought from Sheikh, who has just texted in saying, uh, could other airlines follow this trend that Emirates have started?
3: Yes, I think they will. I think more more airlines will start increasing the cost for redemptions.
2: Joy. Something to look forward to for 2023. Cash them in. Mark, bless you. Thanks so much indeed for joining us this morning. Mark Ross-Smith, CEO and co-founder of StatusMatch.com, an airline loyalty thought leader, give us his thoughts on what is a very emotive subject this morning. Keep your thoughts coming through. People taking this personally this morning, uh, which gives you an idea that the loyalty programmes, well, loyalty by name, loyalty by nature, they work, don't they? Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: We are full of talking points and dinner party conversations this morning whether it is skyward's miles or harry's autobiography Um, one of those that certainly had people talking in the first week or so of the new year has been the repercussions for not hitting your amortization targets if you are an onshore company with more than 50 employees we are going to hear now from one amortization and recruitment expert uh, who has been helping firms understand them uh, talib Hashem is managing director of tbh advisory and partner in the talent matching agency sadara talib it's lovely to speak to you thanks so much for joining us
4: good morning good morning thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here again
1: i understand that you are being approached by companies for support and guidance after they've received fines for not hitting those new year's targets what have they been asking you for and telling you
4: well, yes, we, you know, obviously from the last conversation we had, we, we mentioned there's uh, increased interest in understanding. But now that, uh, the deadline has kicked in and we're, we're past the January 1st deadline, we're getting inquiries from companies that are either looking to proactively hire nationals or some that are, you know, have to deal with the fines, with the penalties, you know. So, um, when we visited, uh, uh, the Ministry of HR and amortization with one of the clients, we saw quite a number of companies that uh, were penalized or find we are looking at understanding why were they penalized and also looking at potentially getting a second chance.
1: Talk to me about uh, what it was like at the the ministry. What are your takeaways from that? <laughs>
4: I think I mentioned in um, my social media the ministry. Clearly, the ministry is dead serious about these fines and penalties. And I work with government and I work um, uh, with different entities. And, you know, nobody, when you go in there trying to make a case for your fine, and you hope that you can speak to someone who can get it waived or postponed. But with the ministry, they're very dead serious about companies complying with the fines. And it's a process, I'm not saying that it is not possible to, to get it postponed or waived, but it's not straightforward. It is a process. You have to put an appeal. They have to review it. So the ministry is quite that serious about it. The second thing is, you know, um, some of the staff were very friendly and helpful, you know, in sitting down with you, uh, trying to explain to you and walk you through, uh, you know, the quotas. you know, what do you need to comply with or not. So um, I think those are the two takeaways. They're dead serious, but uh, at the same time, the ministry has um, put in staff to actually um, uh, respond to these uh, uh, complaints and inquiries. And I expect them from the conversation I had with some of the staff, the ministry is, is, is going to be having to deal with a lot of companies, you know, so they have to be full hands on the deck.
1: What are you advising those who have come to you for help?
4: One first advice is for companies that are required to comply with the amortization quotas, you have to keep checking, you know, you are registered, you have to keep checking your dashboard. Speak to your account manager because a lot of these companies have an account manager designated by Mahare, by the ministry. So you can see it the dashboard, you know, the ministry's dashboard, um, or you can give them a call. And why you need to understand exactly what is the percentage that is required from you, because there is a bit of ambiguity there, especially with you know uh, companies that are regularly hiring and issuing new visas or uh, removing visas. Um, the, fine, the the quota applies on skilled workers only, so it's very important for them to be in contact and keep on updated and checking what is required from them in terms of amortization quotas. The second thing is a lot of companies, uh, what we notice is a lot of companies are under the wrong impression that the employees they hired before 1st of May, 2022, count in the new amortization quota. That is not correct. That is what a lot of companies have found out. Anyone they hired from the 1st of May, 2022 is considered under the amortization quotas. And the third thing, give time, to, to process, you know, it, to find nationals itself is, is, is a process, you know, to find the right Emirati. Uh, and the second thing is um, getting them resi- registered in the pension and issuing work permit. That takes around two to three weeks. So give time for uh, that process to happen.
1: For those who are approaching you about hiring Taleb, how easy is it to find the talent now? Presumably, everyone is is scrambling to make their numbers.
4: It really depends on the type of role and requirements, because we're we're getting uh, companies inquiring for us from us from PROs and customer service all the way to a company asking us for a data scientist um, or a, a digital marketing uh, specialist. So. Uh, so it really depends on the role, number one, it depends it depends on the employer brand and how proactively are you doing to promote your employer um, uh, brand. Now the thing I have to warn companies is and it, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of competition now and you'll see more competition for the small talent pool internationals. nationals. And what we know branded from this low supply and demand and anyone who's familiar with the real estate market, in the UAE, you know, the smaller the supply, the higher the demand, and it drives up the prices. It drives the prices up. So my expectation is the cost of attracting and hiring immoralities or retaining them in the next few months is going to go higher. So those are things companies have to be aware of and be more proactive and not expect. Right, we will post a job vacancy and advertisement, and they'll come to us. There's competition, and these immoralities will now. Uh, either they'll demand a higher uh, uh, price for, for, for joining a company or companies will drive the salaries up as we've seen historically.
1: Uh, Tala, before we let you go, we've got a question about what deadline people need to think of next, what do they need to be working towards now. We've got about 30 seconds.
4: Next deadline obviously is uh, December 31st of 2023. But my advice, don't think of December, just work on the current quota that you have because you never know what happens you lose employees uh, you'll need more uh, in emergency so I think that is that's what I'd say.
1: Talib Hashem is the managing director of TBH Advisory and a partner in the talent matching agency Sadara, speaking to us uh, about what companies who may have missed their amortisation targets that New Year's deadline need to think about and do next.
2: Just the highlights. This is the bite-sized business breakfast.
0: Crossing live to Mumbai in a couple of moments. Time to get us in the mood. This is one of the big hits in Mumbai at the moment. Not just in Mumbai, but also on our sister station, City One. But we're not talking Bollywood, we are talking economics. Delights to be joined on the line from Mumbai by Pranjul Bandari, Chief India and Indonesia economist at HSBC. Pranjul, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Great to be here. Let's talk about the Indian economy because Bloomberg reporting over the weekend that India is set to be overtaken by Saudi Arabia as the world's fastest growing major economy. India is set to grow 5.5% this year, which is great, but Saudi Arabia is going to be above 7%. What's going on?
5: Yeah, well, look, uh, uh, you know, exports are slowing around the world. Uh, Trade volumes are falling. Uh, All economies are likely to see some softening in growth. And India is one of them. Uh, You know, growth was strong last year. It grew almost, you know, 6.8 to 7%. So if it comes down a little bit to just under 6, I think it's fine. It's a year to think about macro stability, like bringing down inflation, fiscal deficit, current account deficit. And once that's done, I think in the next couple of years, India's growth will start to go back up.
0: Right. You say domestic demand will be stronger than international demand this year. Explain that to us.
5: Yeah, you know, we're seeing that in all the data we track. For instance, imports are growing faster than exports, uh, which, in a way, is to say that India's GDP growth is growing faster than world growth, uh, and and that's likely to remain a theme uh, for, for this for this year.
0: What about investment activity?
5: Investment has been surprisingly uh, resilient in India. In fact, I would go ahead and argue that actually investment is even stronger than consumption. couple of reasons. Through the pandemic, India's balance sheets became stronger. Uh, the banks shed a lot of non-performing loans. Corporates shed a lot of debt. And today they are all ready to take off and do a new cycle of investment. I think India just needs to see the global economy uh, become calmer than before. Growth stabilize. Inflation stay and I think India's investment cycle will be ready to go.
0: And you say the big companies are doing well. I mean, here in the UAE, when we think of big Indian companies, we think of the big names like the, the Tatars of this world and the Ambani's of this world. When you say big companies are doing well, what do you mean by that?
5: I mean, the listed firms, you know, the large listed firms uh, have been gaining market share from the smaller firms through the pandemic period. Like when we had the pandemic and there were lockdowns, many small firms couldn't withstand the shock. You know, they had to shut shop. They had to cut down businesses. And the large firms took over that market share. And today, the large firms are growing very quickly. By the way, this is very important for government finances because it's the large firms that pay up a lot of the taxes. So when they do well, then government finances do well as well too. And then government can spend a lot
0: yeah, and the Sensex was one of the few major global markets that actually gained in 2022. I think it was only about 3%, but compared to a 20% fall in the S&P 500, that's quite significant. Now I know you're a macroeconomist, you're not a stock market analyst, but to what extent if any do you look at the Sensex when looking at your your macroeconomic ideas for India?
5: Yeah, it's very important for me to look at everything because, you know, if somebody's put money in stock markets and is doing well, that person feels richer. He spends more and growth grows. So, you know, it all has wealth effects, sentiment effects. So, yes, you're right. Uh, You know, the sensex has done very well. Stock markets have done very well last year comparatively. And I think one of the big reasons is this big formalization, large firms getting larger, listed firms getting larger which has made people who are invested in stock markets richer.
0: To what extent is this filtering through to the rural areas of India? I'm mean, i as guilty as anyone. Um, I'm an overseas citizen of India. My wife's Indian. When I go to India, I tend to go to big cities like Delhi or Mumbai or Pune. There's a very affluent middle class there. They're thriving, booming cities. But it's easy to forget that, of course, at least half the Indian population is rural and living on just a few dollars a day. To what extent is this growth filtering through to those rural areas?
5: Yeah, that's a tricky question. Uh, You know, the trickle down uh, isn't perfect anywhere in the world. Uh, You know, when economies grow uh, for some time, inequality grows as well. And, you know, we're seeing that in most emerging markets. But, you know, coming down to India's rural economy, uh, things were a bit difficult in the last 12 months. There were erratic rains, uh, uh, you know, there was rising inflation, all of that really hurt. But my sense is that going ahead, things could improve a little bit for rural India. And the reason is it's had a great winter crop so far. The winter crop is very important. It's it's been good so far. Sowing has been strong. Grains have been good. So when the farmer goes to sell his produce, you know, in in March, uh, uh, I think he's going to earn some good amount of money, and that will increase rural demand.
0: Finally, can we talk selfishly and parochially about the UAE and India's relationship? But one of our biggest trading partners, of course, goes without saying. Just nine months ago, the UAE and India signed a economic deal called the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement. How significant is that?
5: I think it's significant because it's after a long time, India has really ramped up and UAE is one of its first partners for this bilateral deal. Uh, India's exports uh, uh, share and exports composition is also changing. It's going more towards high skill exports, not just your IT services, but also mobile handsets, drugs and pharma products, automobile handsets, specialized machinery, and I think there is a lot that can be traded uh, between these two countries at a time when India is trying to really change its export basket.
0: Last word on interest rates—they're rising around the world. India is not immune. What's your take?
5: Well, absolutely. As in all all through last year, uh, central banks around the world have been raising rates as has India's Reserve Bank of India. But our sense is uh, that because inflation is now coming off quite sharply, so from about 7.8% a couple of months ago to about 6% and likely to go even lower, our sense is we are towards the end of the rate rising cycle. In fact, we think we're going to see uh, the last rate hike in the March quarter.
0: Pranjal, great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. That was the voice of Pranjal Bandari, Chief India and indeed Indonesia Economist at HSBC, joining us live on the line from Mumbai.
2: You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.